I think that the talent acquisition of an organization is very much correlated with company culture. So paying attention with how they treat candidates, how they approach the selection process, the stages that they have, and the way that they go about it, the questions that they ask. So it's important to ensure that you pay attention to those things. And that is part of what we call career marketing, because it's important for a good company that values culture to have a brand that also includes the talent that they are bringing on board and how they approach that talent. I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Everyone, I have some great questions here for you today. I'll be answering each one of them, and if you think that you can skip a question, you can go ahead and look at the timeline and the episode show notes, and you can skip a question and go to the next one. (laughs) This is going to be an easy episode for those that are in a hurry, but they may have the same question that one of the other listeners asked, and it may suit you to sort of listen to it right now. And for those of you who are gardening, walking, cooking, or meditating, listening to my voice, Hello there. (laughs) I hope that you enjoy the answers to these important questions. I like all of them. I think they're all very important. So let's go ahead and answer a question from Eric. This is one that I have answered before, but that's okay. I will keep talking about it. What is your view on the open to work indicator on or off? I have it turned on for recruiters and not public view, even though I am currently unemployed. I've always questioned the effectiveness of the green indicator. That's the banner that appears in the profile picture when you turn it on for everyone to see. Given recruiters are always searching profiles and I am trying to be more specific in my search. Different views. What is yours? I believe I have heard you say placing open for work for public is not very strategic. Thank you for your opinion. Okay, Eric, I... Am with you. I think you already heard me say that I believe that the open to work banner is not very specific. But remember that I cater for a listenership and a clientele of more experienced corporate professionals. So these are people that are halfway through their careers. They have corporate jobs, they have public sector jobs, not-for-profit jobs. They're usually managers of projects or teams. They have advanced a lot in their careers already. They're not early graduates. They're not junior professionals. I would probably recommend if you are a young professional to have the banner on. I think it suits them. I also think it would suit freelancers, people that are always looking for gigs. That would also suit them. So if that's you, then listen, I don't think it's Eric, but if it's the listener and you're sort of thinking, oh, but I have the banner on, think about 
what is it that you're trying to achieve. A more experienced professional would probably at the end of their tenure at the job that they left, you know, for whatever reason, they would write a farewell post on LinkedIn. I think it's very uh, a good practice to do that. I'm currently working with a client, helping her write her farewell post. She's leaving her work. It's a redundancy. These things happen. If you have a long corporate career, chances are if you get to the middle of that pyramid to the top, you might be made redundant from time to time. It's something you have to account for and a risk you need to manage. So we're writing a farewell note. We're adding, you know, individuals like her manager and others that managed her in years past and great colleagues. She's tagging them and she's going to post them that message on Friday, which I believe is her last day. So, you know, I think that that is something you should do and then make it open to work for recruiters only. So that's an option in the box that pops up when you want to be open to work. You can choose the job titles that you're looking for. You can indicate a whole bunch of other pointers and leave it open to work just for recruiters. And that would be my preference for more experienced professionals. I hope this answered your question, Eric. I hope that other people also benefit from what I've just said. And like I said, these things can be quite strategic. So You know, you might want to talk to a career coach, you might want to talk to me, go to my website, book a time, um, a consultation for you. It's worth it. You can make a huge difference, you know, this exit strategy for you. Okay, next question is from, from Sally. My question is, how does one deduce culture during the interview stage? Oh, what a great question. I love, love this question. I have been tagged on a post on LinkedIn about this question and I answered it there. I'm going to talk about it here with you as well. And because it was a post, there were other answers from people in her network that I think were were really genius. And for the poster herself, she added some great tips and I want to tell you all about it. Sometimes we are so taken by the fact that we've been invited for an interview and the selection process is, you know, moving to our advantage. You've been, you know, selected to meet with the panel and so forth that we forget to look at the the signs that there's something not quite right. Okay. And I have been a victim of that, of the bright, shiny nights. And I remember my wonderful mentor, we're going to talk about mentors in a minute. My wonderful mentor telling me, are you sure this doesn't sound good? Look at all the mistakes that they have done in the selection process. This is not looking great. I know it's an important role, but pay attention to what you're doing, (laughs) to your career. And I was too ambitious and I didn't pay attention. When they offered me the job, I took it. And then, frankly, it wasn't the best culture. It was a terrible culture. And there was really not much that I could do to change it. And it happens from time to time. 
Sometimes culture changes halfway through a job. And I have had many clients tell me this, that they were hired by an excellent manager. It was great culture. And then the company was acquired or the, the manager changed and a different manager makes a whole difference to a function or department. There are endless researches <laughs> that show that, you know, the importance of great silos within organizations and trying to spread that wonderful energy and culture that may exist in pockets of an organization. And then when that manager and that team is dismantled, it disappears. And it's such a pity. So, But if you can identify a difficult, challenging culture during the selection process, I really urge you to pay attention. And unless you really absolutely need that job, in my case, I didn't. I had a perfectly good job, let me tell you. <laughs> and, you know, you can definitely say no and go for something else that will be more suitable to your values, your career drivers and your talents. So it is a great question. I think that the talent acquisition of an organization is very much correlated with company culture. So paying attention with how they treat candidates, how they approach the selection process, the stages that they have, and the way that they go about it, the questions that they ask. So it's important to ensure that you pay attention to those things. And that is part of what we call career marketing, right? Because it's important for a good company that values culture to have a brand that also includes the talent that they are bringing on board and how they approach that talent makes a whole difference to the recruiting and also the firing of people as well. How they do that is so telling. It shows that there are things we don't see below the surface. And when we see them, we tend to discount and not trust our intuition because we are, you know, so keen to have another job. We forget to pay attention. And intuition comes from knowledge. It comes from experience. It comes from wisdom. You can only have intuition about things like culture if you know them well, if you've lived through good culture and bad culture. So an experienced professional especially would be able to identify that. But even a younger profession might be able to start learning and tapping into the, that knowledge in years to come. So if you are a senior executive, you have hired people in the past, you know the type of workplace you perform at your best, then see if the process is going in a way that is aligned with that. And if it's not, then there's your sign. Pay attention to it and maybe step out. I have seen people step out of recruitment processes because of the way it was held and done and questions of, and so forth that they weren't comfortable with. And I, I'm 100% behind them. I think unless you are in absolute survival mode, you should definitely step out of processes that are not aligned with your values. Some other great pointers here from people that also answered the question in this post from Sally was things like do research, ask around. Absolutely, if you are in a position uh, that you know someone that works for that organization, definitely let them know. Some people are very quiet when they go out to job markets. And I think that that is, a str I can understand why you would 
think it's best not to tell everybody, but telling people in a strategic way in confidence can bring you a whole lot of intelligence that you don't have if you don't share what you're doing with people in your network. So listen to what they have to say. I remember once applying for a job here in Melbourne with an organization that is was quite well known. It is still very well known. And I didn't know anybody that were based here, but I knew people that were based in another state. And I said, look, I'm thinking about applying for this role. I was, you know, wondering if you know more about it. And she immediately said, don't. I value you. <laughs> I value your friendship more. And I I don't want you to 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 get into that hellhole and she was on speakerphone and her boss was there too and he said yes I agree with her <laughs> and it was I know they meant well you know and I and I didn't apply <laughs> so there you go and someone else said you know the questions you ask right and and she has offered one example how do you approach failure in innovation oh that is a great question if people don't know how to answer that uh, it might be telling at least for some professionals depending on what you work and what you do and and i think that that is such an important question to to consider asking at the tail end of an interview process okay so yes culture so important you know culture shines when we are in a crisis, right? So during the pandemic, organizations that had amazing culture and lived it, they kept going because management was confusing and convoluted. So they knew what to do. They knew the company's values. They knew what they had to do for everybody. And that meant internally and externally. And in those times are the times when you see culture shining. And day to day is just a much more healthy workplace to work. And I think that we may think we can endure bad culture for a while, but it takes a toll on your health. And I have lots of health issues today that are related to stress that I don't have anymore in my life. Thank goodness. I've cleaned up a lot of stresses from my life, but I'm sure I'm paying a price from stressors from the past. So even if you're feeling nice and healthy now and you're coping well, let a 51-year-old woman tell you, it eventually catches up with you. (laughs) And I don't want you to go through any of the things I have gone through dealing with some health issues that are related to, to stress that I certainly don't have anymore. I have a wonderful life, thank goodness. But I've had some very challenging workplace situations in my past that I think really caused a lot of damage to my health then and now. All right, let's look at another question. I suddenly lost my notes. Let me find it back. Oh, here we go. Mm, I love this next question. It was a client that emailed me and asked how to ask a former manager to be my mentor. And I love this because it is such an important thing to reach out to people that managed you in the past. They are such great sources of intelligence about you. They can tell you, you know, things like you can ask them, what do you think I was best at when you managed me? What were my biggest advantages and qualities as a professional that I can use again? I remember asking that many times as I was exiting jobs 
and after, especially after they're not managers anymore, they are so good at telling you what you're good at. One of my managers told me, Renata, you are great at taking a project that is kind of not doing so well and just making it really good. Like you, you are a leader that transforms something into something else and you meet those KPIs. You're good at that. You're good at managing people, right? And that gave me such confidence to hear that in such clarity and crystallized in my mind that yes, I am good at managing people. I'm good at sort of telling people what to do, <laughs> building teams, building something out of nothing, you know? I'm very good at that. And she also told me what I wasn't good at. You know, you're not very good at managing up. So work on that. That is your professional development. And especially for uh, more experienced professionals, knowing what you still need to work on is important because that is very likely a question that you will be asked in an, an interview. And this is not a tricky question. They're not trying to Get you. They're trying to understand if you're self-aware and you understand what you need to work on, right? Because everybody has flaws, everybody. And if you know what they are and you're working on them and you have some mechanisms to deal with them, then excellent. They want to hire you, right? So you need to know how to talk about them with that level of confidence. So approaching a, a former manager to mentor you can be super rewarding for both of you, for you and the mentor. It provides insights, advice, connection, and can really help you advance your career. So before reaching out, I want you to do some self-reflection, understand what is it that you're looking for and what you want to gain from that mentoring. Is it really a mentoring or do you want to catch up with them? And that's fine too. You know, you can reach out to them and say, are you keen to have coffee? Are you doing well? You know, I, I have some time on my hands. I'm between jobs now. It'll be nice to see you. It doesn't have to be a mentoring opportunity. It can just be a, an informal catch up. But it, if you want to reach out to ask specific questions, then do that self-reflection and think about what it is that you need to know and how they can help you. You know, you're going out asking for advice, not for help, and asking some questions about the work that you've done together or what advice they have for you in terms of where to go next, right? I remember once calling and, and asking, you know, what's the big elephant in the room? What do you think people say about me that I don't know? So those sort of interesting questions that when you're working with a person you can't ask, but after you leave, you know, it's the perfect time. Choose the right way of connecting with them. So... Some people love emails, others don't. Some people just want you to give them a call, you know, if they're usually older. <laughs> I prefer calls. I prefer emails with my clients. So I, I tell my clients, uh, text or WhatsApp me only if it's urgent and it's like the weekend or late at night. Some clients of mine are overseas. Actually, most of my clients are not in Australia. So if there is an urgency, what's an urgency for a career coach? It's like I have a job interview tomorrow. They just called me call me as soon as you can. <laughs> that is an emergency because for private clients, I am on call. So, you know, every person that's busy 
has their mediums. Everybody has their favorite medium. Some people are fine with a LinkedIn message. Others never look at LinkedIn messages. So remember how your manager likes to receive communications and reach out to them in that way. And start the conversation with gratitude and express to them how you appreciated their leadership and the sort of impact that it had in your career, how it has guided you. And I think that that's so important that people feel appreciated. You know, I know I, I love when somebody reaches out to me years after I've managed them and tell me something that just warms my heart. You know, I a few years ago, I visited an old workplace and there was somebody there that had worked for me before. And she said, you know, this thing that you told me has helped me not only in my job, but also in my life. You know, it's been such a good technique that I've used and, and I learned it from you. And I had forgotten all about it. <laughs> and I went back and I found the technique that she was talking about, something to do with positive psychology. I was very much into that about 12, 15 years ago and still am, but in a different way. And I said, oh, this is such a great idea. I'll, I'll bring that back <laughs> to my repertoire of, of what I work with clients. It has made such a great impact for her. It can help somebody else as well. So it's wonderful to listen to things like this and to know that you've helped somebody in some way. I'm proud of that. I think people are really proud of that. So starting with that gratitude is important. But also be concise, be clear. Don't write an essay to them if you're writing an email, for example, right? So don't be too long. I've recently reached out to my mentor and I know that the emails are read by him and his executive assistant. So I made it really informal. I mean, I've been catching up with him for how much? 15 years now or more. So it was just like, I'm going to, to Sydney. Do you have time for me? And, you know, I addressed it to both of them, to him and his EA, and received a, a message soon after. It doesn't have to be a huge message, even though I felt guilty that I hadn't reached out for a long time. It didn't have to be a big message, right? It can be concise and clear and enthusiastic and high energy. I think that that was important. I'm always trying to be enthusiastic and high energy. I think the things that you should avoid when reaching out to mentors is saying that you need help. You know, I need help. Can you help me? That usually scares people off, unfortunately. I think asking for advice is better, but wait until you see them face to face or have that conversation via Zoom or a call to say, look, I'm, I'm between jobs, for example, if that's the situation, or I'm having trouble with my manager now and I don't know, you know, how to address it. I was hoping to get your advice. This is what's going on. What do you think I can do better? What do you think, you know, I can do in the company? Should I escalate this? Like, there are so many reasons why a mentor that has managed you before can help you. So, yeah, I hope that helps. And I will add the email that you could send out in the episode show notes. Another great question, how to give feedback to a work colleague without causing more issues? I have clients that have found jobs and continue to work with me, right? I don't talk about this very often, <laughs> but it's something that happens from time to time that people want to make sure that they are 
advancing in their workplace. They have a soundboard, somebody that can work with them on issues as they arise. And I currently have, I don't know, two or three clients like that. Three clients for sure like that, right? They run renew their, their contracts with me and we just carry on coaching. And I have a fourth one starting in December. It's a weird time to start, but it suits her. So there you go. All right. And one of the most popular issues that happen when you're working in any work environment is difficult work colleagues, right? Things that happened between different functions or within the team that are making it more challenging for you to do your work, even barricading your work, and you need to provide some feedback to that colleague without causing more issues and escalating the situation. I often recommend the BIS model. It's behavior and impact and suggestion. That's what the B, I, and S stand for. I've been using this and the radical candor feedback model and the radical candor I'm going to put a link in the episode show notes I'm not going to talk about it (laughs) because it's hard for me to recommend without working one-on-one with a client it's a harder model to implement it can cause more problems even though I love it you should read the book it's not for every work culture we discussed culture before so go back to that question if you've been skipping in this episode. So the Radical Candor book has an amazing sort of philosophy on how to provide feedback that needs an experienced hand, right? And a a special type of workplace for it to work. And I love it, but I'm not going to talk about it now. The BIS model is much more conservative and more widely used. and, And I think it can work for almost every workplace. So that's why I'm going to talk about this one. And I want to talk about it. I want to answer this question. I could have chosen not to answer this question, but it's such an important question and we should provide feedback on people's behaviors and learn to receive them as well, right? So feedback is an essential tool in the workplace. I find that there, because I work with clients around the world, I find that there are some cultures that are much more okay with feedback and give them more openly than others. In Australia, we're not very good at either giving or receiving feedback in the workplace. But when they are provided effectively, it can really inspire change. It can make the performance of the entire team better, the entire organization better. And it can help somebody grow professionally and personally, right? You, if you receive feedback, you can grow professionally. I just told you about receiving feedback, about managing up. I worked really hard on that. I didn't think it was completely true. And that's okay too. You have to trust your intuition and know, you know, what to take from feedback and and what may be a little bit biased. But I understood it and I worked on it. And the BIS model is a structured approach, right? If you follow it, it will provide you that guidance of the structure to deliver both good and bad feedback. We don't call it bad. In fact, we call it constructive. But you know what I mean. And having that structure is important because it allows you 
to sort of focus and not be emotional about it or anxious about it or stressed about it because you know you have a structure to follow. So let's talk about the behavior, the first part of the feedback. This is the starting point. Here, you're going to describe something very specific that you've observed, the behavior, and it's very important to stick to facts and avoid your personal biases or emotions. So I'm going to say something that I don't think would work. So saying something like, you were very rude during the meeting, right? <laughs> even though that's what you thought, even though that's what I hear from my clients when they come to me and say, oh my gosh, that person in the meeting, she was so rude or he was so rude. And that is not the right feedback to give. The correct feedback is to say something like, let's say the name of the person is Tammy. Tammy, during the team meeting, I noticed you interrupted several colleagues while they were speaking. I heard, <laughs> I'm terrible. I, I, I just thought, oh, Tammy is one of the most amazing people I know. Why did I use that name? <laughs> I don't think she listens to this podcast, but yeah former colleague of mine. No, she would never do this. But anyway, it was just her choosing a name. All right. So Tammy, right? During a meeting, I noticed you interrupted several colleagues while they were speaking. Okay. So it is a behavior that you noticed. It doesn't provide any bias or emotions. It is a fact. And then you go into impact. So after you highlight the behavior, it's important to explain to the person the consequences of that type of behavior. And even though it can seem like you're explaining something so obvious, it's important to follow up with this step, right? Instead of saying things like, I, people didn't like what you did, you were rude, people didn't like what you did, you can say, you know, people, if we do that, in, in, continue to interrupt, People, when they're speaking, people will be reluctant to share their views in future meetings. So we are going to possibly miss out on their input and we don't want that. So that's kind of how you would frame it. And then the S of the BIS, BIS model is suggestion. So suggestion means that you're providing an actionable pathway, right? Now, I sometimes tell my clients, I sometimes, no, I always tell my clients, always give two suggestions you can live with, right? So in this case, I kind of transformed the very well-known BIS model into BISS model. But the reason why I like to give more than one suggestion is that I want people to have agency. So if I'm giving a constructive feedback to someone, I want them to have agency to feel like they can choose the way forward for them that better suits their personality. And I also like to open up and say, do you have any other suggestions? Is there anything else that we can do in the future so that it doesn't happen again? So I like to give people agency. But let's talk about how to give suggestion. Instead of saying, next time, Tammy, I need you to speak less. <laughs> and I know that that is something people have said to me. <laughs> so it, it's awful. And why would people say this to me? Because I am verbose. I am flamboyant. I'm Brazilian. <laughs> Did you know? You probably have noticed. I have an accent. So I'm from Latin America and South America, in fact. And 
And I think that we just talk more than other people. If you've been to South America, you know this. We are very talkative. And I have been told to talk less. So that is not the correct way to, to suggest. The right way would be to say, you know, next time, consider writing down your thoughts and as they come to mind, you know, because that's probably, you know, why you're sort of so excited to share them. And then let's share them, but let's share them after others have spoken, right? So I think that that's, you know, what do you think, Tammy? Do you have any other ideas? Or, you know, you can come to me afterwards and share with me your concerns because I know I, I want to hear them, right? So you give them two options. I, as a manager, have always done that. I like that. I remember there's this thing that I often tell my clients as well when I was starting a new job, and it was such a difficult one because I knew I had to ask some people to leave I was told by the manager, look, some people are not performing well. It's your role to figure out what to do. And it was the worst thing to, to say to a new manager. And I remember one thing that I came up with that I tell my, my clients often is, I want to be the best possible manager for you. Tell me what you want. Do you want me to manage you in? Do you want to, me to manage you up? Or do you want me to manage you out whatever you choose I am a hundred percent behind you and two of them asked out one wanted to go back to study and she became an amazing professional and the other one was never happy she never liked that job and she told me yeah no can you be my reference I'm applying for jobs and I'm like yes I will help you find another job let's do this right so why not? <laughs> I, think, I think it was the best thing I've ever done. And I know many of my clients have used that with their teams as well. All right. Do we have time for more questions? How to find out what to wear for your interview or new job? Oh, this is such a post-pandemic question. <laughs> I think before the pandemic, everybody knew what to wear for a job interview or for a new job. Now, the corporate attire has changed. I feel like I need to interview somebody again, a stylist, to talk about this. <laughs> because even when you go into the office, I've been told by my clients, people are dressed differently. There's hardly any stilettos or heels. People are wearing suits with sneakers now. Have you noticed? And, and it's very confusing for some people. If you've been working remotely and all of a sudden you're back in the office, or you, if you have a job interview coming up, even if it's a Zoom interview or a face-to-face -face interview, you've, you've kind of forgotten what to wear. And I think it's important to, well, first of all, it's important to, to be concerned about it because th that first impression is part of your interviewing process. So don't underestimate the power of whatever you're wearing. It doesn't have to be a power suit if that's not the vibe of the industry, of the company. If you have time, there is a little tip that I have been giving all of my career, and it is to go to the nearest coffee shop next to the workplace that you are going to be interviewed for or you're working at and watch people come in and out of that workplace. Go early, like 7 a.m., 8 a.m., and sit there, grab a latte, grab the newspaper, pretend that you're busy, 
and just watch people coming in and out. I used to do this back in 2011 with university students. So we had a group of university students that all wanted to do accounting or work for big consulting firms and they came from blue collar families first in the family to go to universities or they were indigenous or they were international students and these are sort of the minorities that don't perform well in in the interviewing process so he used to take extra care with them and go take them through two or three day sort of workshop inside the chartered accountant's office. I loved running that at the end of the year for those young professionals. And one of the things that we used to do is go to Collins Street here in Melbourne, sit at one of the cafes and just watch people coming in and out wearing suits. Professionals that were just a few years older than them and observing what they were wearing and that was part of the yeah the interviewing workshop that we did <laughs> and then my wonderful friend Bronnie Fraser and she's styling again she left Melbourne during the pandemic she just emailed me to say she has returned we hired her to teach the students about style and corporate attire and it was the most gorgeous workshop that I know she loved doing and and I just loved observing her and the students interact. So everybody can do this. Everybody should do this. So don't forget to do it. So like I said, the best time to do this is early in the morning or in late afternoon. But late afternoon is hard because some people live really late and the coffee shops are closed. So yes, I wouldn't recommend sitting at a pub. (laughs) and waiting for them to come because the pubs are not so close. In On Collins Street, and I know this is the same in every big town, there are usually coffee shops right under the, the corporate building. So you can sit there and just watch them come in and out. Okay, final question. Following your advice, I took a week off work to focus on job applications. What should I do? Great question. Great question. You should aim at doing up to four great, well-researched job applications during that week off. No more. Don't send hundreds, right? More than that, and it's too much, and you won't do a good job, right? So Glassdoor, LinkedIn are great sources of information on companies and their recruitment processes, and also company websites and, and Google News and all of that. So pay attention to doing the research. Instead of starting day one with job applications, start day one with finding maybe two jobs that you want to apply for. Don't send them and do a lot of research about those organizations before sending out your application. When answering questions from recruiters, it's important to know how to answer questions properly. You may have heard of the STAR concept, and I know that week you probably won't be interviewed, but you can use that week to practice. Practicing for interview is so important, and people don't do that. They only send applications, and they don't think about the next step. So practice with the LinkedIn tool. I will put a link to it below. There's a tool on LinkedIn with several questions and you can answer questions via video and LinkedIn provides you with some feedback, which is all AI. and It's amazing. It's been going on for a couple of years, but still I feel like people don't know much about it. 
What else? When contacting recruiters, write emails and write them in proper English and not SMS language or tweet language or X language. I don't know how to call Twitter anymore. Such a great name. I don't know why he changed the name. But I find that even when people reach out to me, they you know, because they want to know about my coaching. I think that they don't put a lot of care in the emails and that doesn't leave a good first impression. Now, it won't hurt me. I will still answer you back, but I'm not sure about recruiters, okay? So remember that and maybe write some templates, have them ready so if you go back to your job, they're ready for you to send out and you can use that week to get prepped and plan ahead. And finally, I want to say the Reset Your Career is the best investment that you can make for this week, right? Some people have asked, you know, can I have a session with you this week? I, I can't tell you how many times this happened. Can I have a session with you this week? I have the week off or, you know, have only just found out about you. Many times I don't have time. I'm fully booked, you know, and I get booked. So if you're listening to this episode now and you look at my calendars and try to book a consultation with me, you will probably see that you need at least two, if not three weeks to book a time with me. And I say there that if you have an emergency, reach out. I will try to squeeze you in. What's an emergency? You have an interview, right? So I have a client, consultation client. She booked a meeting with me yesterday and then I noticed she canceled and booked it two weeks from now because that was the only that she booked the first available spot and I'm like "Mm, okay let me just reach out and ask what's going on and I said I noticed you changed that's fine by me I hope all is well with you and she said I changed because work booked a meeting at the same time and I can't get out of that meeting but I do have an interview Friday and I'm like okay I will squeeze you in tomorrow Thankfully, I had a cancellation from another client that is not feeling well, and I was able to slot her in. Otherwise, I would still do it at 8 p.m. at night if I had to, because if she has an interview on Friday and she invested in me, you know, she can't wait two weeks to talk to me. (laughs) I really want her to win that interview. So she's having that consultation tomorrow. But you see what I mean? Like the Reset Your Career it's a great investment for that week because it has all the masterclasses that you need to kickstart that job search. It has resources like templates, resume templates, the email to the recruiter that I mentioned before. I have a template for that inside and it's a very good investment. It's not that expensive. So have a look. I'll have a link in the episode show notes. You can go to my website, find out more. And yeah, I, I would definitely recommend Reset Your Career as part of that week that you have off. You don't give me your name, but I hope that it helps you and other people out there. Look, I love answering questions. If you have questions for me, all you need to do is reply back to my newsletter that I send out every week. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. It's a weekly newsletter and it's for people that want to advance in their careers. I will send you the new episode of the podcast and some extra content that I send just to my subscribers. So consider subscribing and then you reply back with your question. Or if you really don't want to subscribe, send it via maybe a LinkedIn message or any sort of social network. I'm in all of them. So yeah, I I love questions. It's so telling for me, you know, to know what people are thinking about and what's of concern to them. Some questions become entire episodes and some others in 
you know, like these ones, I, I make a Q&A and I love doing it. Until next time, I'll see you next week. Bye for now.